Today on Ag News Daily. Brazil is a very young country. Uh, we have agriculture, for example, Midwest for 30 years. The oldest agriculture we have in Brazil, which is south of Brazil, is 60 to 70 years old. You guys have been farming for 200 years. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am joined today just by my co-host, Mike Pearson. No Hannah for us today, Mike. No, no Hannah. It's just the two of us kind of going old school, Delaney. Yeah. Well, you know, we missed you yesterday. Why don't you tell us what you were doing? Because it sounded pretty cool. <laughs> it was. Okay, so for those of you outside of the state of Iowa, every year the Iowa State Fair is pretty much known for its food. We've got like, I don't know, probably over 50 foods on a stick now. But yesterday was the Iowa State Fair Food Showdown competition, and I got to be one of the lucky judges to try the new foods rolling out at the fair this year. So there were 13 different foods that we sampled. I was really, really, really full and bloated by the end of it, but there were a lot of good foods we got to try. What was your favorite? Can you tell us? Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's see. There was a couple that were my favorite because there were like, there were basically two categories. There was like just new foods and then there were new foods on a bargain. So foods under $4 that you can find at the fair. Ooh. Yeah. So definitely my favorite new food on a bargain um, was the smoked chicken legs. So it's like for those of you that have been to the Iowa State Fair, you can get a huge roasted turkey leg. It's like that, but a chicken leg and it's only $3 and it was super good. It was way worth your money because I can never finish the whole turkey leg anyway. So I think the chicken leg is a great alternative. Right. So I'm just picturing a a drumstick. Yep. Exactly right. Okay. Gotcha. And they serve it with like this really good homemade barbecue sauce. But honestly, you don't need the barbecue sauce. It was just like perfectly smoked. So that was super good. Um, There's also, I can't remember what the sandwich is called. It's a burger, but it's got, I think, a pork patty, shredded pork, bacon, and slaw on the top. That's also Mm. super good. I think it was a homemade bun. And then my two favorite desserts were, um, it was like an apple, I guess you could say like an apple turnover or an apple flotta. It was made in a wonton wrapper with apple, cinnamon, all the good gooey stuff you get in like apple pie and like a Chinese wonton wrapper. So it was fried. So good. And then also it was called the Thin Mint something. I'm not, I don't remember any of the names of anything, but it was basically a Thin Mint, like a, almost like a cake pop, but made of Thin Mint in the middle dipped in chocolate. Oh, super good. Wow. That sounds awesome. There were so many good foods. I was so full yesterday after it was over. Well, good, but you're up, you're around, you went to the gym today, so you're working it off, and you're back on the podcast. I'm back on the podcast. Fantastic. Well, let's see. Let's jump into some ag news here right off the bat, and I've got news that probably isn't going to shock a lot of people. It's trade-related. China's Ministry of Commerce said earlier today that it is going to take further measures to compensate for losses caused by our tariffs put in place under Section 232, basically on steel and aluminum, as well as the other stuff. They didn't say what they're going to put additional tariffs on. They just said that after our uh, complaints to the WTO yesterday, the five complaints that Washington listed they're going to put more retaliatory tariffs on. But didn't seem to affect the grain trade today, which was good news. That is good news. I had some big news today as we look at things that could be affecting the grain trade or, or biofuel and ethanol. 
Mike, have you heard that the Renewable Fuels Association's president and CEO, Bob Deneen, is planning to step aside coming this fall? No, I hadn't heard that. Do we know who's going to take his place yet? Yep, I think the current executive vice president, Jeff Cooper, is set to assume those roles in October. And so Bob Deneen won't be completely moving on from the RFA, but he will begin transitioning into a role as a senior strategic advisor. And he's been there for more than 30 years. I didn't realize he'd been there quite that long. Wow, I didn't either. It doesn't say any reasoning for why he's moving on to that role, but uh, at least he's not leaving completely. Yeah, and, you know, after 30 years, I'd be looking to go to more of a part-time gig, too. (laughs) Would you? You're ready to go to a part-time gig now. Oh, absolutely. If I win the lottery, it's it's hello boat, hello Caribbean, I'll catch y'all later. Yeah, bye Delaney. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> um, uh, well, actually, since we're talking about the RFS and RFA, of course, one of the big battles we've seen over the past year has been between the RFA and the EPA with regard to the renewable fuel standard. Two weeks ago, I believe, we saw Scott Pruitt step down. Andrew Wheeler assumed his role as head of the EPA. And not a lot of people in media, in agriculture, really knew that much about Andrew Wheeler. Well, The Hill has just published a pretty good, I would say, biography or breakdown of Andrew Wheeler. And um, he used to work at the EPA. He was in charge of their Superfund sites back in the early 90s. He's been a lobbyist. He's worked on behalf of energy companies. And his first move since he's come become the head of the EPA is to make the long time, the career staff, feel better mm-hmm. and, like, work harder, I guess. Um, and then he's also gotten rid of the 24-hour security. Basically, it sounds as though he – and, in fact, he said this – He is going to continue to pursue all of the policy objectives of Scott Pruitt and the Trump administration. He's just going to try to do it without all the scandals and the money spending. But this article didn't address his stance on the RFS. So that is still Mm. something that uh, we'll have to keep an eye on and see what changes. Yeah, we really don't know where he stands on that on those side of issues. Well, He's gotten some big votes of support from uh, some Illinois uh, House of Representatives members, John Mike Shimkus, um, who said he was really glad to see Wheeler was moving into that role. And he's from Illinois. So you got to figure oh, if yeah. an Illinois rep is behind him, he's, he's not going to be fully opposed to it. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, at least. Right, right. Let's see. Well, in other... Uh, Washington-related news, the House is going to take the first formal step today to move uh, towards the conference that they'll have with the Senate, and the House is going to vote this afternoon basically to go to conference with the Senate, and the Senate will also have to make a similar vote, and they're expecting that to happen next week. Uh, Just a little bit more information about that because I did a little bit of digging so we can kind of have a better idea of what the process looks like. Basically, after the House and Senate both vote to head to conference next week, they're hoping to head next week before the House breaks for its August recess. But basically, the House is going to send 20 conference members from the House Agricultural Committee, plus a couple additional representatives from other panels. And then the Senate will only get to send seven conference members, uh, four of which will be Republican and three will be Democrats. So they're hoping... It looks like they're really pushing to get things done here. 
All right. Well, we'll have to see what comes out of that committee and if it will end up either passing the House, if it uh, doesn't include the work requirements, mm-hmm. or if it does include the work requirements, will it pass the Senate? And right. I, boy, uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And interesting. the House is also going to vote this afternoon um, on a motion basically to instruct those people heading to the conference to make sure and provide mandatory funding for FMD or an animal vaccine bank because it's been created by legislation, but apparently the bill hasn't, the bill has been authorized, uh, but it hasn't created any funding for that bank. Oh, okay. Well, that's not really worth anything then. Right, exactly. Hmm. So this one should be getting the funding. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, there we go. We'll uh, hopefully have another defense in place should a uh, foreign va- or virus come into uh, United States agriculture. Absolutely. Well, I've got some news. Well, speaking of diseases and so forth, um, you know, a lot of folks are becoming vets. Delaney, you oh. probably know some folks who are in vet school. Not very many, but yeah, I guess I could think of a couple off the top of my head. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, if they're having a hard time finding work and they're willing to travel overseas, there might be an opportunity in Ireland, the Emerald Isle. Yeah. So the Irish government said today that they are going to hire 1,000 more customs and veterinary officials to deal with new trade rules between Britain and Ireland that should come into effect once the Brexit transition ends in 2021. Mm. So they've got, uh, what is that, three years? I wish I was going to be a vet. I'd go to Ireland. Well, you got three years. I think you could probably get through vet school. I think I'm just going to finish grad school and be done for a while. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no sense in staying in school unless, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat, <laughs> yeah. you know. But, uh, but folks, there you go. So there's an opportunity there in Ireland. I don't know if they recognize American degrees or whatever, but. I assume so. American degrees are recognized pretty much worldwide. Well, yeah, we are the best. Sorry, Canada. Oh, geez. Proud to be in a All right, we're moving on from that. Where at least I know. Yeah, we definitely okay. don't need people to hear you singing on the podcast. Yes, we do. What else you got no. for us, Delaney? <laughs> uh, the only other piece of news I have for today is trade-related. The European Union and Japan have finally signed, or no, I take that back. They haven't signed it yet. Japan has voted to sign a free trade agreement between Japan and the EU, and it would basically remove quote, the vast majority of duties that the EU currently pays, um, including products on cheese, wine, etc. The thing to keep in mind here is the EU has put a lot of pressure on Japan with this agreement in particular, um, that while Japan is negotiating with the U.S., that those geographical indicators are things like Parmesan cheese, Gorgonzalo cheese, etc., the EU is putting pressure on Japan basically to have Japan to say, hey, U.S., if you want a free trade agreement with us, you have to quit using those names. Oh, and that was one of the things we've talked about before when right. this free trade agreement was under negotiation. They're going to use it as leverage. Exactly. Okay. Well, we got to get in there. We can't be selling Parmesan-ish cheese in Japan when we can make <laughs> a pretty good what, product right here. Do you think that's what they would call it, Parmesan-ish cheese parmesan like cheese i'm not a marketer delaney if you are well aware yeah but yeah i'd call it i'd call it parmesan ish that sounds fun i don't think it sounds very appealing to consumers but sure 
Eh, that's why I'm not in marketing. Yeah. Um, I, too, have just one more piece of news before we jump into the markets. And this is coming from our friends over at AgriPulse. You know, we continue to talk about trade. It continues to be a big issue in agriculture. So they have published an ebook called Export or Bust. And they look at uh, basically eight different chapters on how exports and, and growing markets are important for agriculture, and it's free. Hmm. So you can just Google export or bust, and it will pop right up. I haven't had a chance to finish it yet, but it is only about 50 or so pages, and uh, a lot of good charts, a lot of good information. I would say if you're interested in exports and trade as it relates to agriculture, it's probably worth uh, Googling and taking a look through. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, let's see, Delaney, let's jump in and take a look at the markets today. What do you say? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, I tell you every day it's important to have a marketing plan in place. They can help you do it. Give them a shout, 312-277-0050, or their website is Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got a little bit of green on the screen here. Taking a look at the corn market, the September contract was up a penny at 347 and a quarter. December up one and a quarter sets to close at 361 even. In soybeans, the August contract up two and three quarters finished at 842 and a quarter November up two and a half to close at 857 and three quarters in the Chicago wheat the September contract down three and a quarter to close the day at 494 and a half December down one and a half cents finished at 510 and three quarters looking over on the livestock side there was a lot of excitement that maybe we'd see limit up in the front month August contract in fat cattle we did not but we came close the August contract was up two dollars 52 and a half cents at 108.95 while October was up 215 to close at 110 65. And that strength carried over into feeder cattle with the August contract up 31750 to finish at 15445. September up 295 closed at 15465. That strength did not carry forward into the hog market. The August contract was down 70 cents at 6720, while October was off 2750 to close at 5192 and a half. Looking at the dairy market, a little bit of strength here in the July contract up a penny in class 3 milk at 1 at 1425 with the August up 14 cents to close at 1514. Now, intern Hannah has been working with growers from Brazil today. That's why she's not joining us on the podcast. She has captured a couple discussions with them. But before we get to that, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one, one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, on uh, the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease, uh, a fungal disease that can be treated with a, with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are, are labeled for Physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of, of leaf symptoms. Um, but, but but a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help 
help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. All right, Mike and Delaney, today I am with Julio Bravo. He is the founder of Agro Bravo, and he is a native from Brazil, and he is joining us in Iowa today with some men and women that he brought over from Brazil to learn more about Iowa agriculture. So first off, Julio, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for taking the time off and interviewing me. Yes. So first, I just want to get a big picture of what is your business and what are you doing down in Brazil? Well, I've been doing the, the travel agriculture business for 10 years now. I started working only for John Deere back then and nowadays I work for several multinationals that bring their customers up to the States. In 2015, I decided it was time to move up to the States. So I opened a Florida business. So I'm trying to do the same now, you know, open doors down in Brazil to Americans, Europeans, Australians, Chinese, people from all over the world that are connected to ag to visit Brazil, such as a great uh, powerhouse there is Brazil. And it sometimes is different for people to go and check what we're doing out there. For sure. And so maybe just explain to our listeners a little bit as to what your goal is when you are bringing these groups from Brazil to different places or parts of the world. What are you trying to learn about or what is the main goal? It's, it's kind of like a mission of our company is try to make agriculture a, small, a smaller place so people really can get connected and exchange information. Uh, Brazil is known by uh, the massive agriculture we have, but at the same time we don't have much information that comes out of Brazil. Everybody calls Brazil as a black box. It's very hard to read Brazil sometimes, especially in agriculture. We don't have many of the intellectual property of Brazil. It's already sold for the big companies, so they don't have time to write or to talk about Brazil. They will talk by their own benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So our idea is uh, to get uh, these people and come up to the States to actually uh, try to make a difference in their business. Brazil is a very young country. Uh, we have agriculture, for example, Midwest for 30 years. Uh, the oldest agriculture we have in Brazil, which is south of Brazil, is 60 to 70 years old. You guys have been farming for 200 years. Uh, you know, there are families here that are six, seven, eight generation business with eight generations. I heard about John Deere the other day. Hey, they're the ninth generation of CEOs and the company's been there for 200 years. So, uh, this is what we're trying to do is actually, uh, adding value and people coming up, exchange information and try to be better on what, we're, what is our main thing in Brazil. It's, it's agriculture. Mm -hmm. So basically that's what we do. And so when you are planning a trip, do mm. you have interests from Brazilians who are like, I want to go here, and so you're like, okay, let's make it happen? Or how do you get like a group of men and women to come over or to join your group to learn more? Right. Uh, uh, they started as a, a as a trip of relationship thing in between customers, farmers, and uh, John Deere dealers, or Syngenta dealers, or Dow dealers, or Bayer dealers. So they used to bring groups up here to you know stay uh, seven to ten days with a group of clients having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that was the amount of time that they didn't have doing commercial thing. So that's how it started. People were here to uh, to only to do like this marketing relationship trip, and then 
And then we decided to go up uh, and, and try to level up the thing to uh, make uh, educational trips. Make sure we got the intellectual property that is out there here in the States and get in the minds of our farmers and make more of a business, not only a farmer. So uh, try to make a sense of what agriculture worldwide is about. Mm -hmm. And since you started, how many trips have you taken or what are some of the places that you have gone to? Right. I usually travel 35 to 37 weeks uh, a year. Okay. Um, I've been to 56 different countries, 174 different spots in the world. Wow. Yeah. So uh, where agriculture is, I, I, I step in already. Um, I take, I, well, my company does around 20 to 30 groups a year out of 25, 30 people. So we touch base with around 500, 600 farmers a year, and we don't want to grow that portion of the business because we're kind of on the on on a level that we don't want to screw things. Um, so we decided to keep the travel business at the size where we take around 500 people out of Brazil every year, and we can receive around 200 to 300 people down in Brazil every year. So amazing. And now the next step of our business is what we've been mentioning, and it's uh, it's an advisory company trying to open markets to investment funds and investment companies, M&A, private equity companies that want to touch base in Brazil and try to do something. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, you're essentially being the middleman trying to uh, attract investors from mm -hmm. these places that you visit into Brazil, or are you taking investors? From Brazil yeah. into both ways. We have a company established in Florida, so uh, we are regulated by American laws. So whenever somebody wants to hire us to make a study down in Brazil to see what opportunities are there, we're ready to. And we have a, 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 a sister company down in Brazil where uh, we contract. We have contracts with uh, companies, with farmers, with people that are looking for investors. So we're looking for partners. Uh, M&A acquisition and things like that. So yeah, we're we're trying to do this business. We did once. We did once so far, and it worked out pretty well. We're looking to expand that portion of the business a little bit more. And that, being a middleman, we're kind of like more like a public relation company, mm -hmm. where we have a list of really good people out there in Brazil that wants to touch base with. Them. And sometimes it it, it, uh, it sounds hard. It looks hard to do that. But it's very simple in a way that uh, if you have the right partner, things can work out pretty smoothly. Very nice. Well, yeah. if we have listeners who want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about what you're doing with AgroBravo, mm -hmm. where can they go to learn more information? Well, they can uh, go to agrobravo.com, which is our website. It's a travel business website. We don't uh, advertise much the advisory company business because we choose who we want to work with. Uh, but uh, you can uh, even... Add me up on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm out there, Julio Bravo. You can find it. It's the only Brazilian with that name. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, Julio Bravo, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Well, thank you, honey. It's been very helpful and a very productive week. Thank you for giving your time for us. Well, very cool. It, Delaney, I think it's pretty awesome that we were able to snag an intern who's willing to go out and grab interviews with interesting folks from around the world. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the kind of people we need on our team, Mike. Absolutely. And folks, if you live somewhere else in agriculture and you want to submit some stories, we want to hear from you. We want to be able to cover ag all around the world. So give us a shout. You can find us on Facebook at Ag News Daily or on Twitter at Ag News Daily or visit the website at agnewsdaily.com. 
with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Mike. 